Welcome to One Stop Shop, a weekly podcast that helps ambitious e-commerce entrepreneurs learn from the best. Brought to you by Convergio. To learn more about managing all of your e-commerce tools, channels, and strategies from one dashboard, visit Convergio.com. On this episode, we interview Leora and Megan from Overtone.co. A common theme in business advice is don't mix friendship with business or friendship with money because you might lose your friends. However, this doesn't seem to apply to everyone. And while being friends is not enough to create business partnerships, it can be an added bonus. Leora and Megan are two friends turned business partners, crushing it and enjoying every bit of working together. Today, we talk to them about what to look for in a potential business partner. Hey, Megan and Leora, how are you? Hi, good. Hey, how is it? <laughs> good. So, uh, you know, we're really excited about having you with us. And, you know, obviously I have a little bit of background about you guys, but, you know, I want to introduce you to the listeners. So tell us about your lives before Overtone. I'll start. So, um... Ooh, can I pause you? We, we clarify right away so the listeners can know whose voices are whose. Should I say, like, this is Megan, I'll start? I can say Megan. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not even going <laughs> to edit this part out. I'm just going to leave it. So if you want to go, hey, I'm whoever to start. And then after that, we're just going to assume that they're going to know. But just for the okay. first few voices, so we can kind of mentally <laughs> make a picture and stuff. All right, this is Megan. I'll start. So my upbringing was very working class. I was raised by a single mom with a bunch of siblings. And I think we just kind of, there was always... There was always a struggle forever while I was growing up. And I just sort of feel like that evolved into my desire to kind of find my way out of it whenever, however I figured that I could. And the best way that I, I found my own financial stability was through having a business. I was always kind of a natural entrepreneur growing up. I was doing business models, business ideas before I even knew what the hell that was. So in the form of like a lemonade stand or selling markers to my friends or who knows what, once I got to be a teenager, my ideas got, you know, bigger and more substantial and I got into business in a more significant way. I would say that my college education and my formal education has very little to do with my success in business. <laughs> and wow. more so, more so I have kind of a degree in Google. My Google foo is very strong. <laughs> and in terms of my like useful business skills, I spent a lot of my early twenties doing as much shadowing of small business owners as I could. That got me a lot of skills that kind of are helping me to this day. And in general, I am just the kind of person who just if you can't figure it out, Google it, find a way, you know, like where there's a will, there's a way is always kind of the way Leor and I are both that way. And mm -hmm. I think that's a big part of, of kind of having that entrepreneurial drive. We're, we're basically the stubborn assholes. This is Leora. My upbringing was different than Megan's. I lived in upper middle class, New Jersey, suburbia, raised by, you know, two conservative Jews. Like did that whole thing, but we definitely both have on our resumes the pet rock lemonade stand garage sale like background that was definitely very solidly implemented. Girl Scout cookies just called every single person <laughs> in the phone book, just like opened it right up and was like, "All right, starting with A's Ardvark, like let's go." Talked up my uh, my troop a couple times, you know, <laughs> whatever. I worked with a lot of local small female led businesses, sole proprietorship type stuff. A lot of local artists, so kind of working as an assistant on the back end of physical projects a lot of the time and 
like Megan, I learned a lot from them and that definitely comes into play a lot here as far as like batching and, and stuff like that goes. My degree is in fine art photography, so extraordinarily useful as one might imagine. But before Megan and I met, um, I had just quit my day job and was pursuing freelance photography full time and was having a lot of fun with it. But I, I like complicated projects and so does Megan. So when we started chatting more significantly, it was kind of like, well, I guess we're making a business together. Cool. The end of that. Do you want to jump into this crazy thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, I do. All right. Um, so all good friends have memories that make them laugh years later. What are some of yours? Why don't we establish this friendship a little bit and then some things that, I don't know, just define you guys as you guys. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about me and Megan is that we were really good friends before we started. <laughs> we those. were not. We were basically strangers. Um, <laughs> which is um, crazy strangers, crazy strangers, but definitely the story of how we first met is my absolute favorite because both of us are married to engineers who have friends with, who are also engineers. And the first time Megan and I ever laid eyes on each other was at a party of a mutual good friend who uh, was an engineer and decided that Monopoly was not nearly complicated enough. So he and some other engineers wrote up like 16 pages of new rules for Monopoly and decided that we were all going to play. Megan and I got drunk, but everybody else played. (laughs) Um, We had to get drunk several times because the game lasted so long (laughs) that like one drunken cycle was not enough. Surprisingly, we, we didn't participate to win. We were just kind of... (laughs) you know intentional bankruptcy is real in that sort of situation (laughs) I'm gonna say if I have a favorite sort of memory or thing that we kind of have now that will make us laugh forever Lior and I have a bunch of kind of weird things that we found in common we have mostly we're very very different but we found over time that we have a few really weird things in common one of them is a love for the New Zealand comedy folk band Flight of the Concords I don't know if you guys are familiar with this band they are not super well known but they're not they're not nobodies they should be more well they had for a time a comedy show on the channel Comedy Central and at one point there's a scene where one half of the duo gets really angry and he does what's referred to as Brett's angry dance and he starts running around doing this sort of like footloose style like scene through a warehouse. It's like Bob Fosse and footloose. Yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah. So Lior and I both when we learned that we were both obsessed kind of with this scene and this character we used that angry dancing throughout all of our vendor disasters, like literally anything. Um, And we still, to this day, we like get out that scene and play it on YouTube and angry dance around when we need to get rid of some like anger adrenaline. So. (laughs) So far, nobody's filmed it, but now we are like in an office with more than just us. So the likelihood is increasing day by day, but we're kind of hoping to keep that one under wraps. (laughs) Have you like legitimately gotten into an argument where one of you without notifying the other just started angry dancing? Oh my God. No. Not yet. Why not? I kind of <laughs> set that up now, though. Thank you. It's for not that a matter suggestion. of setting it up. It'll like the next time, happen. I can't believe you haven't yet. I'm really surprised. <laughs> to be fair, we don't really argue hardly ever. When we argue, but... it's, it's more what we call violent agreement, where it's a phrase that my husband coined, and we've discovered that it's very useful for us because we'll come at the same problem with the same solution from two different perspectives and not realize that we're agreeing. And neither and, of us can see. And get very heated. About it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I really think that hair glitter is absolutely, no, 
I totally agree. However, eventually, yeah, and then we just come to the conclusion that we're violently agreeing. Yeah, that's most of our arguments. I think because actually we weren't close friends to begin with, it's given Megan and I an opportunity to really grow our relationship as partners. We're really more like wives than friends. Yeah, there's legal sure. contracts and everything. <laughs> so the benefit of that is we've been able to really cultivate a personal language and a personal communication structure that's really effective for us. Like, yeah. of course we argue, like in what relationship don't you argue with somebody? So can you briefly tell our listeners who are not familiar with Overtone, your company, can you tell them about your products and what you sell? Sure. So Overtone, our flagship product is a line of color depositing conditioners for fantasy hair shades. So we have 21 different colors that come in a variety of different intensities from pastel to vibrant to extreme. And effectively what they do in a nutshell is replace the color that you wash out when you shampoo your hair. So if you, for example, went to a salon, had your hair bleached up to blonde and had it dyed blue, you would go take a shower a few days later, you would put shampoo in your hair, you would notice that the suds are very blue and that you rinsed a bunch of that dye down the drain. So instead of using a normal white conditioner like you typically would after you shampoo all that blue out, you would use one of our blue conditioners and put that on your hair, let it hang out for three to five minutes, and then it replaces the blue that you just rinsed down the drain so your hair doesn't fade. It really helps like our, you know, the fantasy lifestyle because we are people who really want a particular look and find it really integral to our personality, but are also, I mean, Megan is definitively more high maintenance than me, but both of us like... (laughs) The typical route to having a fantasy hair color is cold showers, wear hats, never go swimming, be careful what products you use in your hair, don't go in the beach. It's a really high maintenance lifestyle and we are definitely have your cake and eat it too. Also, we don't have any longer than five minutes to do it. So we really wanted something that was hair healthy, totally customizable. You can mix all of our shades together to make any sort of custom shade you want easy to use, just like absolute no brainer, just throw it on and leave your house. And you're still looking as fly as you were on day one at day 60. Yeah. Yeah. And for our listeners who don't have the visuals, um, Megan has a red hair. Right? <laughs> red at least. Actually, I think that in this light, it looks, it looks red. red. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. very bright pink. Yeah. yeah. And Leora, you have blue, but it looks like a I actually have our pastel tea. Pastel, pastel. Okay. Yeah. So my video is off. That's (laughs) we've got dark lighting. Yeah. Yeah. Megan's actually wearing our extreme pink conditioners and on her Instagram, which is Megan.scarlet. It's just Megan Scarlet. Megan Scarlet. You can see her extreme pink. And then I'm wearing our pastel teal conditioners, which you can see on mine, which is K underscore Leora. Yeah, it looks great though. Yeah. It's definitely like (laughs) fluorescent pink. And then the blue reminds me of like like a Muppet maybe kind of blue, like a, uh, like a gonzo or we, something. It's our Caribbean cerulean, yeah. like teal, mermaid, mermaid. You're going to lose me once we start getting past like standard Crayola colors. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So how did you end up like, why this business? Out of anything you could have done, you chose crazy hair colors and glitter. Oh, we were so mad. <laughs> we were so mad. God, I think it was, it was a product that came out of personal need. You know, Lior and I have both been, like we said, entrepreneurs before this, but I think that this is maybe our most passion projecty sort of thing that we've ever done, largely because it was a fix for something that didn't exist. It was a product we wanted, a product we needed for ourselves. And honestly, like 
when we made it, we were like, maybe people want to buy this, maybe they won't, but we're going to keep making it for ourselves regardless and a handful of our friends who want it. And I think that a lot of times out of that perspective comes some of the coolest companies because it's just when you are your consumer, you create the best stuff. Yeah. I think what happened is Megan called me and she's like, I want traffic cone orange hair. Why does nobody understand my needs? What is wrong with the world? Why won't it stay on my head? And she was like, I think we can make this. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. And so we just kind of. That was it. Yeah. And then I was on a train out to LA from Tucson. And we spent a week and a half or so R&Ding in my kitchen. Yep. That was it. That was it. And I think it's especially interesting that, you know, like you said, your own consumer, that you can understand what they want and where to find them and how to communicate with them because they're pretty much, I don't want to say a copy of you, but you have so much in common with your consumers that you know exactly, you know, how to speak to them, how to find them. Yeah, I think a lot of times in the beauty industry specifically, and certainly in other industries as well, but particularly in beauty and fashion that we see, there are so many companies in hair and beauty that are run by people who aren't the consumer. There's a huge number of hair and beauty companies that are specifically targeted to women are run by men, in fact. But in general, there's this tendency to have kind of the decision-making people and the CEOs be people who aren't necessarily the targeted consumer and the demographic they're selling to. So I think it's really powerful for us as a company that Lior and I are very different parts of our demographic, but we are both our own customers. So our perspective is very valid and we really feel so linked to our demographic and our community within the company that our decision-making comes from that place inherently. I grew up in a family where I was beauty obsessed, but none of the other women in my family, till actually very recently, one of my younger cousins was at all interested in hair or beauty. I like made it a goal. I wanted to work at Sephora. I wanted to learn all about that. I wanted to know like as an art student and as somebody who's been invested in art their whole lives, the concept of like color and texture is really important to me. And it's like what drives almost all of my decisions, actually. Like, I love playing with color and texture. So this is just kind of an extension of that. And having the space and permission almost to really explore that to like a full extent is so exciting for me. And that's like really what drives my like getting up in the morning being like, all right, like, let's go look at some colors and figure them out, like do the thing, you know, it's just, yeah, it's awesome. So creating a product from thin air, like you guys did, it just seems risky. Like you don't have social proof in the beginning. You don't have any testimonials. Like how are you able to earn the trust of enough buyers to build a solid brand and presence online? So... We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the answer is we had no idea. We very specifically and very intentionally launched our company in such a way that we put a really minimal amount, a maximal amount of effort, a minimal amount of money into the company at the beginning so that we could kind of try out this thing we were super passionate about without totally going broke if it fell flat because we had no idea. So we hand labeled every bottle we did conditioners to order basically as they came in beakers out of beakers yeah which are now used for very little but we we both have calluses on our hands from (laughs) Megan probably more than me from hand labeling bottles and then we used 100 milliliter syringes to fill all of our containers for the first six months at least yeah for about the first quantity were you pushing at that point to have to do all that by hand 
Actually, I can I can probably find out. By the time we moved it to actual machinery and stopped doing, I mean, it wasn't long before we stopped doing one-offs. But if you bought one of our early, early, like if you were one of our black, if you have a black bottle, it was a can bottle. <laughs> it was if you hand. have a if you have a PET plastic bottle, which yeah. are shinier. Any, any of bottle. the hard bottles we first used, all of those, anything early on was Leora or I made it as a one-off in a beaker and syringe that sucker into the bottle. And then Megan's very reluctant, very, very reluctant mailman took it from her. <laughs> right. I think we were probably up to maybe doing about a thousand bottles a month, I don't month, know. We're, roughly. We are about to find out. I'm actually just... You're going to look it up? Yeah, I'm just looking it up. All because right. I, If you guys don't mind know. waiting a second, we'll give you no. actual figures. Yeah. We totally don't mind sharing as long as you, your listeners a, care to hear this. Yeah. So no, let's I, say. Um, I think it's awesome because it's just raw. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's it, the reality of what happened. Yeah. It's honest. It is what it is. Like, <laughs> this was our life. So, yeah, we were doing somewhere in the realm of like 1,500 to 2,000 bottles a month by the time we got to the point where like – we're in separate places at this point too. Leora's living in Tucson. I'm in LA. So out of Leora's house, she is doing a hundred percent of our client services and, and the ordering and any sort of infrastructure, everything on the back end, all the infrastructure, all the client services. And from my house in LA, I am doing all of the mixing, all of the bottling, all of the labeling and all of the shipping. And then we're getting together a couple of times. Like I think October, 2014, if we launched in, in May, 2014, or really June 1st, 2014, by October of 2014, I was basically living at your house for like a yeah. month. Yeah, for periods of time. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of rambling off your original question. But to answer it, I mean, like, this is realistically, like, this is what we did because we had really no money to put into. I mean, it was it was a few thousand dollars and that was it. We had no money to dedicate to it. All we had was the time and the, like, Stubborn, stubbornness. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say passion, but like this <laughs> stubborn, like, uh, you know, belief that like this would work. So I know a lot of founders either, you know, I hear a lot of people say like they put their life savings into it. They like totally believed in it. And I don't want to say we didn't believe in our, our project. We totally did. We had, we had evangelical belief in our product. We were down to like suffer through the blood, sweat and stomach lining that we spent getting to where it was, but we did not have like, we weren't in a place where we're like, Hey, we have a hundred thousand dollars. We can shovel into this and like hire a couple people and make it function. Yeah. And we didn't take any venture capital. So we did this like flat broke and just like suffered through. It was just the two of us for the first year until we hired our first employee. Yeah. And then we hired a second one and we've just gone through a hiring round. So in the first two years, I think we doubled monthly at least three times probably more than probably that. more than that so our monthly figures doubled like month to month at least three times i'd say for the first two years we were just struggling to like keep up with the demand once we until to, september we have been struggling to keep up with the demand just two years yeah no, two, two and a half i mean let's be arguing they were just talking about <laughs> <laughs> somebody's gonna break out into dance in a second <laughs> so, yeah so it took us i would say our bigger struggle and like this sounds like oh my god what a great problem to have and like we never took it for granted but our biggest struggle honestly for the first two years and change was just keeping up with the demand we got from word of mouth yeah and the struggle before that was figuring out how to get our bottles labeled <laughs> that was a huge struggle actually <laughs> but now we have figured it out kind of mostly so some of the listeners may be considering partnering up with a friend 
for business purposes. Some people advise against this. Some people say it's okay. It might ruin the relationship. In general, do you think it's a good idea to be in business with someone who is your friend? I think if you go into business with a friend, and again, Megan and I weren't friends when we started. We're wives now, but we weren't (laughs) friends when we started. I don't feel necessarily qualified to to say anything on this necessarily. If you go into business with a friend, it will ruin your relationship because it will indefinitely change your relationship. It will never be the same. A business partnership, like Megan is the only other person in the world besides my husband, who I've known since I was 17. We've been together for going on 11 years now. She's the only other person in the world besides my husband who, one, I can yell at, who can yell at me, and we can still be fine and process it after the fact. We can sit in a room for hours and hash shit out. They've got to be somebody who motivates you, who pushes you, and who changes you. And if you're comfortable with somebody and they're already your best friend and you're you're concerned with maintaining that relationship above creating something together, you're going to start seeing problems. Yeah. I will, first of all, totally agree with that and then kind of take the other side of that question, which I think is, would you recommend having a partner? I think whether it's your friend or not, um, and I agree, I've never partnered with a close friend, but realistically, like if you guys can yell at each other, then good start. Despite the fact that having a partner comes with a lot of requirements, like you have to be able to compromise, you have to be able to let things go sometimes. Like people, you you have a trump card, your partner's going to have a trump card for different things that like are priorities for you. Despite all of the moving and shaking and kind of bending that it takes for you and your personality and your desires to kind of make a partnership work, I would never, ever, ever, ever consider taking something, bootstrapping it from the ground up without a partner because there's just, there's no way you're going to be right every time. You need that other perspective even when you hate it. And the amount of work and the amount of stress that it is on one person, if you can't share that with someone else, no one will ever understand. Your spouse, your best friend, your mom, your sister, whomever, even other business owners, if they're not in your business, no one ever will understand you like your partner will. When you're stressed out, when you're anxious, when you're angry, when there are things coming from the business that are tearing you down, there's no one else on the planet who's going to understand that. And it is already extremely isolating to be an entrepreneur and to be an entrepreneur alone. I don't know that I can handle it. And I'm a pretty independent person. We both are. We've talked about this several times. I I wouldn't start something solo ever. Yeah. I mean, she tried, but... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and I <give> off. <laughs> but I've had a couple other partnerships in the past for activist and photographic projects that were never as substantial or permanent as Megan and mine. And I've had those relationships go sour and it sucks. It really, really sucks. It's totally heartbreaking, actually. But I think I would never, ever do this by myself. I agree with Megan 100%. And I think that we ended up just being incredibly lucky that we're able to put up with each other's bullshit. Yeah. So what would you say is the most important criteria that a, you know, a business person should look for in a potential business partner if they were to cross-check someone for, you know? So one of the things 
that we got really lucky at that we didn't do intentionally, but I've learned enough about it that I would do it if I ever decided to partner with someone else. You really need someone who has complementary skills to you because the biggest part of this is you need to be able to disperse the stress and the work. So if you have someone who is really good at kind of business acumen and kind of marketing and, you know, kind of seeing the path toward, you know, the, the visionary product sort of thing. And then you have someone who is, I don't know, neurotic and good at follow through. Yeah. (laughs) We're describing ourselves right now, but (laughs) if you have two people who are both great with people, but neither of you can commit to launching something, that's an issue. That's not either of us. For an example, that's not us. No. So like, um, for example, Megan is a lot stronger with numbers than I am. And she's also like one of her super unique strengths is sort of seeing the future in terms of like what's coming and what's gone. And that's kind of where I tend to get stuck. I tend to get stuck on pushing the button. Megan pushes the button and like walks away. And I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. So like <laughs> minus, minus the follow through and Megan is the initiator. Yep. And that's kind of where we end up falling. And in. Leora, on the other hand, in addition to being the, uh, the one who can make something fit together and permanently and make it stick with that follow through is also so much better with people than I am. You have to have a people person. Like I can network just fine in a room. I can do sales really well, especially if it's behind a computer screen, but I am so bad. There's no possible way that we could have built the team we have today without her. And that is so crucial to the size that we are now and the growth that we've done. If you don't have someone who has that level of like people, person empathy to be able to create an infrastructure around a team that functions, you'll fall apart at some point because you you can't rise above a place where you can't do it all yourself. We got incredibly lucky with one of our first hires. Her name is Lisa Nett. And she like on the daily just blows my mind with her ability to both be a hard ass and the most compassionate person I know. And so she's basically in charge of running the day-to-day of everything that's going on, which gives Megan and I an opportunity to invent things like hair glitter. And the way that I see her navigate the relationships in our office and with our clientele, because she started out as a client services rep with us, is just like, I want to sit down with her and just have her teach me her ways because it's incredible to see. Yeah. And actually, we the reason we found her is because I was uh, photographing a wedding once that she was present at. And I saw her diffuse a situation between like two incredibly stressed out people, like nothing had happened. And I was just like, oh my God, who even are you? Like what just happened? Yeah. It was crazy cool to see. So yeah. Yeah. On the subject of Lisa Nett, who I think Leora mentioned is our VP of operations, which was done intentionally. So I guess we can take credit for that one. When you're hiring someone to be your operations person, when you start to want to exit the day-to-day, and or I guess this could be useful for finding a partner as well. One of the best things for us as partners that we did intentionally with her is find somebody who has all of your strengths and none of your weaknesses, <laughs> which she has, which is great. And she can do, she can manage to do both of the jobs that we were doing before, like no problem. So I love her for so what much. it's worth. <laughs> She's amazing. On that subject, what are some of your favorite ways to find hires or good hires? That is, I mean, people can't just expect to walk into a wedding and, and witness a, someone diffuse a difficult situation just like that you know We're bad people to ask that question. Bad people. <laughs> I mean I think part of it is admitting when the relationship isn't good you can hire as many people as you want but to a point especially and 
And we were talking about this the other day too. Startup life and startup companies are not for everybody. They are definitely not for everybody. And I think as far as millennials go, most of our company is actually millennials, millennial women. There's a really glorified and romantic view of what startup life is like. It's the people who are making it. It's the people who aren't being restricted by the man. It's like people who can take what's a stuffy environment and making it into something like fresh and cool. And the reality of startup life is like, it is those things, but it is also hard fucking work. Mm -hmm. And you have to be incredibly self-motivated and you have to stick to your guns and you have to figure stuff out on your own. And it's like, even the nine to five positions are not nine to five positions because you own everything you do and your name is on the line with everything you're doing. And with small companies, that tends to be the case, but with startups, especially so. And I think when you make hires, sometimes they're good relationships. Sometimes they start out as good relationships. The only thing you can do is think about the company, the environment you're trying to create and where you're growing it and say, has this relationship become bad? Is it no longer working? Is it unhealthy for everybody? Is this relationship good? Is this person excelling? And we've seen that Bella, who is, um, we call her the glue. Uh, she was my assistant. Now she does everything. She started off as a part-time assistant for me, just helping me kind of get through my tasks during the day. And she excels in startup life. She just grabs every opportunity, learns on the fly, is resistant to nothing, but is super honest about her capability. And that's an example of somebody who just can take stuff and run with it. If you have a hard time pushing the button, that's when the relationship can go sour. So when you look for employees, look for that personality fit and that skills fit, but also make sure that there's somebody who's willing to push the button. Mm -hmm. Do you generally hire someone and try them out like quickly and make a decision or do you tend to take your time, you know, with interviews and whatnot? Typically when we hire it's because we're trying to build infrastructure as fast as we can to maintain what we've currently got. So until now, our hiring needs have been very like, oh my God, can you start tomorrow? Which is not the best way to do it. Like having foresight is definitely an easier way to do it. I think honestly though, getting into weddings and looking at people diffuse situations might not sound like a realistic way to do it, but watching people interact in their environments and see how they do in other organizations and like networking within your community and being involved in those circles and reaching out to other business owners and being like, I need somebody who can do this for this and see who they can come up with is, it's some of the ways we found our best people. Finding like, you have social influencers online, but in communities, especially like Tucson where our HQ is, Tucson is a community where you have in-person influencers. There are just key people in any community and any group of people. Mm -hmm. And you find those people and they can connect you with the right people. And it's, it's a matter of like really putting your face out there and being like, are you the person who makes decisions for this entire city? Awesome. Like, let's be friends. Also, I need somebody who can do client services like tomorrow. Can you yeah. find them? I think the idea that it's not what you know, it's who you know, gets a really bad rap. And I would say, especially from my perspective, being the non-people person half of this team, I'm surprised by how important cultural fit is and how unimportant skill set is, to be honest. Like realistically, when we look at someone who's not working, very often they're great at their job. 
in order to build a team that really functions well and thrives in this sort of super stressful startup environment, you have to have a group of people who just fit together so well and really bring each other up and really motivate each other the same way that Leora and I have to. And if you have someone who is great at their job, but is stressing out the people around them, you have to fire them. You have to get rid of them because they are going to bring down so much, so much productivity from everyone around them that you, you can't have that in a team. It's just the ability for someone to be a black hole is so strong there. So I would say that if I were to give one piece of advice to someone who's trying to hire a strong team, that higher personality, higher cultural fit, hire that MacGyver instinct and that Google foo, and then train them on the skills. What about conflict? You guys talked about it a little bit earlier with the dancing and things. (laughs) But realistically, you have something that you butt heads on. How do you handle it slash what advice would you give for working through partnership conflict? I would say that the best way that Lior and I have found to work through this, and this is another thing that we're definitely not experts on, but we kind of hand out unspoken slash imaginary trump cards to each other. When we get into a conflict and we really, really can't see eye to eye on something and it's not a violent agreement and it's not something we can Brett anger dance through, officially in our actual partnership agreement, we do have an official contractual way that if we are absolutely disagreeing that we can get through it, which involves a team of experts and some other stuff, we've never gotten there. But we kind of hand out these imaginary trump cards, which is to say, how important is this to me and how important is this to you and why? And we kind of gauge why you're coming from this position, why I'm coming from this position, whose perspective kind of holds more weight in the sense that like, this is super, super important to me and you just don't like the way this graphic looks, right? In a situation like that, the person who feels like this is super, super important to me gets the trump card there and the person who doesn't, just doesn't like the graphic lets it go. And that's kind of the perspective from which we, we resolve things when they've gotten to a place where we can't agree in any way. And so far that has never failed us. That's my best. Yeah. I think definitely reaching out to, to the team of experts, basically it's like, we have to find, like, we each pull in a consult and then those, like we, we each pull in a consult and then we decide on like a third one. And then they make the decision is I think it's kind of how our contract works. But as far as the Trump cards go, like, for example, as a photographer, I had a policy that I wouldn't digitally alter beyond, you know, color adjustments and exposure. I wouldn't go in and liquefy or skin smooth any image that I took or put on the internet. And that's a huge part of who I am, like in general. So when it comes to light that, you know, while beauty industry standards are really different in that it's an aspirational image, it's not a realistic image. And my trump card is very much in that corner of like, I don't fucking care. Like, I will take a picture that is good enough that we won't do this. Right. And so that's how it is. If we're looking from the perspective, that's a great example because that's one that came up kind of early in our relationship is like, I am not at all opposed to Photoshopping and skin smoothing. I look at an image and I say, okay, this one that has been Photoshopped more is going to sell better, hands down. I don't disagree. I just don't I, like it. Agreed. Right, exactly. <laughs> and Leora says, like, it is like hardcore, like a part of like a heavy part of my value set that like I do not want to do that. So, in that situation, obviously, like it matters more to her than it does to me. And that's how we make that decision. 
if you guys can go back in time and just give yourselves, um, I mean, your younger selves or other entrepreneurs, just one piece of advice, what would that be? So many things, right? <laughs> I have trouble trying to pick one thing. Yeah, we only want the most crucial. You messed up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a lot of like the perspective looking backward is just so different that I think if I had to wrap it up into one thing, I would just say like, just own your like stubbornness and like rock the fearlessness of that. Like listen to yourself more than you listen to what's outside you because we got laughed at so much. Like from beauty people, from vendors, like this is not a unique thing to us. Like everyone has that story, you know, everybody's like, I was told no, I was laughed at. The Beatles were laughed at. Yeah, exactly. So I think in any success story that that level of like fearless stubbornness to a certain extent is like really inherent to the success. And I had that anyway, but I, I think I would tell my younger self to trust that more and, and faster and earlier. I'm trying to think about times when I didn't want to do it and what I would tell myself in that moment. Didn't want to do what? Didn't want to just, do this or, or just it, like whatever it anything. was at the moment. Yeah. Like, what do you say to yourself when you've accidentally filled like 30 bottles of, of extreme blue with pastel teal? Like, what do you say to yourself at that moment when every, and, and that 30 bottles is like a huge expense that, at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what do you say? Like when you've just fucked up your own shit, I think it's like, get over it. Like <laughs> just like not up, get over it. But also your, maybe I would say to myself, you know, like your values and your perspective are valid and important. And nobody has the values and perspective that you do. And that's valuable and unique. And people might want to know about that. So what the fuck, do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love this. This was a super fun interview. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you and your hair color, where can they go? They can go to our website's the best place. It's overtone.co, just C-O, no ends. And they can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of the above at Overtone Color. Actually, if you go to our YouTube, it's pretty phenomenal because there are early videos of me and Megan on there. <laughs> Maybe don't go to our YouTube. That's <laughs> pretty good. I've embarrassed Megan several times on YouTube by editing the videos early on. Yeah, so. in- Instagram is honestly the best place. If you want to see us be embarrassed, go to YouTube. It's true. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. Well, thank great. you, ladies, for your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. One Stop Shop is a production of Convergio. Learn how to manage all of the marketing tools, channels, and strategies that you need from one dashboard by visiting Convergio.com. This podcast was produced in partnership with Come Alive Creative. For help building, improving, and marketing your e-commerce store, visit comealivecreative.com. To listen to more episodes or to give us a rating, please visit convergio.com forward slash iTunes. Music